Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Welcome to Rev. <laughs> my name is Tuli, and would you believe it, this is my third preach only. <laughs> so I'm practicing on you guys. I hope that's okay. Be gracious, be kind. Um, we are in the middle of a series on when Thessalonians, but today is a halftime break. So we're actually doing something completely different. Um, and God gave me a preach a few months ago for today, providentially. He's been working in my heart, teaching some things that I didn't even know when I would preach them. And then providentially, I got this Sunday where I could preach whatever I wanted. And here we are. So, (laughs) but it is relevant. It is relevant. As you'll find out, what we've been sitting in in 1 Thessalonians is really, really, is very related to what I'm going to say. So, right, I'm going to start with a question. When was the last time that you were faced with your own limitation? For me, it was quite recent. I was on a trip to the Netherlands in a town called <clears throat> Groningen. Now, I met my own limitations when I was trying to learn these sounds, these motorcycle engine noises that they call a language. And now the thing is, if you are, if you are someone who's learned English and you've been around English people, they're very encouraging, right? They're like, yes, you're nearly there. Keep going. You're great that you're learning our language. The Dutch are refreshingly honest about how well I was pronouncing these sounds. The 11-year-old in the family I was in, she just concluded I was never going to get it. She was like, no, no, you're hilarious and a failure. And that was fine. That was fine. Now, this is a funny example, but were you to have found yourself in my room the last few months, you would have heard me praying, God, I have no idea how to understand this. You're teaching me things that are beyond my understanding, teaching me things that my whole mindset cannot grasp because I am small, I am not like you, I have been raised in a culture which is anti-gospel. I've reached my limitations again and again and again the past few months as I've been learning about this topic. But the thing is, he seems to have been teaching it to so many people that I've been getting around that I'm absolutely convinced this is something the church needs to hear today. And so I've wrestled and I've tried and I've prayed and thank God he has heard my prayers. But let's rewind. Did you know that it was only two years ago that the UK was emerging out of the pandemic? Two years. It feels like a lifetime. It was two years ago. It, was, it had been 21 months of lockdowns, working from home, social distancing, limited physical contact, quarantining, and would you agree, far too many Zooms? Yes. We were all freshly convinced that community was really important. Amen? We were all saying people don't do well alone. It is not right to be alone. We were made for connection with each other. But I also believe that the pandemic actually impacted our approach to relationships. For some of us, We feel like our capacity for relationships has actually shrunk quite a lot since the pandemic. Our friendship groups have grown smaller. We, some of us, feel really nervous around particularly needy people. We feel like we just don't have enough to give to them. 
And the way we engage with community is often based a lot out of how we're feeling, what we need and what we want in, this, in a moment, from moment to moment. Now you'll see a picture coming up on screen um, with my imaginary clicker. Um, these are still around. This was a picture I took a few weeks ago just out there. Stand apart. Oh, it's disappeared. Keep your distance. Be socially safe. Now, even though social distancing has come to an end, I still believe that internally a lot of us are keeping people at an arm's length. A lot of us are still living this out. We still think social safety is keeping community just on the edges and not getting deeply involved in it. But we know that the Bible gives us another message. Imaginary clicker. Hebrews 11. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The question is though, what does that actually look like? We're convinced that community is key. We're struggling with limited capacities. And when we look at the community, a lot of us, when we return to church, we're like, is this it? We're asking ourselves, is it meant to be this hard? Is it meant to be this tiring? Is community meant to feel this shallow? A lot of us don't even know where to begin but as following Jesus becomes more and more difficult these days, we need to discover what God's design is for relationships if we're going to survive. And this is what I've had conversation after conversation about with people both in Rev and beyond. Community, relationships. We are desperate for deeper relationships, but we have no idea where to start. And this is where I hit my limit. This is why I was praying because as God started to teach me his design for relationships, I realized it was literally beyond my understanding. My Western mindset, the way that the pandemic had affected my thinking, my individualistic approach to everything where my comforts and my needs are the priority, they were limiting my ability to even start comprehending what he had in mind with relationships. But he kept bringing it up. Not only that, like I said before, he kept bringing it up in conversations with other people. They were also wrestling with this idea. And so I am convinced we need to rediscover relationships as God intended. It will open up books like 1 Thessalonians in a new way. When we read verses about loving one another, we'll think, oh, gosh, now I have a slight inkling of what God actually meant by that. We need his help, though, if we're to understand things are his way. So let's pray. Jesus once said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed to them to little children. God, we want to have the minds of little children as we come to you. We want to be humble and say, Lord, I don't understand. Please explain it to me like I'm five. Open our blind eyes. Open our deaf ears. Soften our hearts, shift entire mindsets so that we can comprehend something of the beauty of relationships as you intended. Amen. Okay, gear shift. Here's a question for you. You're going to turn in your pairs and you're going to share one or two words in answer to this question. What is 
the goal of a Christian. What is the goal of a Christian? Go, you've got two seconds. Okay, two seconds is up. All right. I said one or two words. If you are speaking in sentences, you didn't listen to what I said. Right. So, uh, who said evangelism? Who said worship? Holiness? Discipleship? Love? You're all wrong. Okay. In the book of John, we find a prayer that Jesus prayed just before his arrest and crucifixion. And to say it's an important prayer is an understatement because it is the longest prayer of Jesus ever recorded in the Bible. And in it, we get a glimpse of God's deepest desires. This is Jesus praying to the Father. I do not ask for these only, it's the disciples, but I also ask for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is the heart of God relationship. The prayer reveals that before the beginning of time, God was relational. Verse 24, you loved me before the foundational of the world. The nature of God was relational even before humans existed to relate with. Within the Trinity, there was relationship. It also reveals that he is 100% committed to relationship. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. God is committed to relationship both within the Godhead and in humanity. Thirdly, it doesn't only reveal that, but it also reveals that the Father is committed to the Son and equally committed to us, equally committed to us. Verse 22, that they may be one, even as we are one. Relationship is threaded through this entire prayer. This is the deepest desire of God for his people, for the Godhead. So let's go back to that question. What is the goal of a Christian? Relationship. Correct. You've been listening. Appreciate it. His purposes are to redeem our relationships to himself and our relationships with one another. Now, some of you might have a similar experience, but when I grew up, the goal of being a Christian was to be good, to become someone who reads their Bible every week, who prays, who goes to a service every Sunday, who serves on Sundays, who shares my beliefs with others, and regularly gives money to the church. This was the goal of being a Christian. This is what I was raised to believe. But as we read about this, It brings a whole new perspective. Whilst all those things were good, they aren't the goal. They're the means of achieving the true goal. Relationship with God and with others. Everything exists to serve that goal. That means when you read the Bible, why? For relationship with God and to learn his ways so you can relate to one another. When you pray, why? To relate to God and to build relationships with others. When you give to the church, why? 
because you are in relationship with others, building a body together. Everything you do should be for the purpose of relationship. And God is wholly, completely, sacrificially committed to relationship. Humanity is not. The human experience is one of fear, rejection, separation, relational breakdown. No one here will raise their hands and say, I've had a perfect relationship with everyone I've known on the planet, right? Cast your minds back to the beginning of time. You weren't there, but just imagine. To the Garden of Eden, Genesis. Number one, God's commitment to relationship was questioned, yeah? What did the snake say? Did God really say? Is he really committed to your well-being? Does he really love you? Adam and Eve let mistrust corrupt their relationship with God. And they ate the fruit. And by the end of the chapter, what do we see? They were afraid of God. They tried to hide from him. They turned on God. They turned on creation. And they turned on each other. And one chapter later, the very first murder is committed. If that doesn't give you a very sad picture of humanity, I don't know what was. That is within four chapters of the Bible, four chapters recording the history of the world, and humanity is in broken relationship. Done. Sin doesn't just separate us from God, but from one another. Sin corrupts every single relationship, and the result is eternal separation. But remember... What is God's goal? To redeem relationship. And he is wholly, completely, sacrificially committed to relationship, no matter the cost. We're going to look at Ephesians 2, 12 to 13. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The result of sin, separation from God. But, what a promise. We have been brought near to God and one another. What was the cost? The blood of Christ, his death. And he has made us one. Who? The Jews and the non-Jews. How? By the breaking down of the wall of hostility in his flesh, by his death. Now, earlier we had communion. Do you see the picture of communion in this? What did that relational restoration cost? It's the blood of Jesus. And it was the bread, his body broken. So when you read Paul say, when you come to communion and God brings to mind any offense that someone else has against you, sort it out before communion. This is why. This is why it's that serious because the cost of relationship was the death of Jesus. We don't take communion flippantly. We take it with reverence. And we do it 
with the heart and the goal of Jesus in mind, relationship and restoration. This is how committed God is to relationship with us and between us. Jesus came to earth and died. Now, it's all very well and good, but where do you even begin with relationship? It sounds very nice. Sounds like we should just love each other better and just like be forgiving and confess sins and all that kind of stuff. But you can't start relationships the way God designed them before your whole identity is transformed. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.17, which tells us you are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are no longer lonely. We are no longer orphans. We are no longer separated from God and each other. If you are trusting in Jesus, you are now adopted by God the Father. You are now in a family with brothers and sisters. From now on, in your new identity, God's desires become your priorities. His desire for restored relationships is the family business that you're now a part of. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 19 tells us, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our job. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is the family business, folks. This is what we're about. And finally, from now on, your identity is relational. The extension of every activity that you do should be, as Jesus prayed, to become perfectly one so that the world may know that the Father sent Jesus and loves us. So how do we begin? Got three points. Everyone loves three points. See, three sermons in and I already know the skills. Yeah, four is too many. <laughs> four is too many. First, God's design for relationships has to begin in relationship with Jesus. First, we have to be reconciled to God. How? 2 Corinthians. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I was listening to a sermon recently by a man called Terry Virgo, and he shared an illustration that utterly blew my mind and broke this open for me. What did it mean to be the righteousness of God? And he shared this. He said, in the Old Testament, when an Israelite came to the temple bringing his lamb to sacrifice as a sin offering, he wasn't worried about his state, the state of his hair, his torn clothes, blisters on his feet, or how bad he might have smelled after the journey, because the priest's attention was not on him. What was it on? It was on the lamb. He was inspecting the lamb. Was it sick? Was it lame? Was there any blemish? Was there any blindness in its eyes? Was there any deafness in its ears? The minute the priest found the lamb to be an acceptable and perfect sacrifice, the man was also accepted in the sight of God. His state didn't matter, only the lambs. So when you put your trust in Jesus, you become righteousness to God, once and for all acceptable by his perfect sacrifice. Even if you come to God with wounds and sickness, lameness, blindness, hurts, 
brokenness. You are approved and acceptable to God, not based on your own merit, but because the blood of the perfect lamb was sacrificed for you. The minute you approach the Father and he sees the blood on you, you are welcome. You are a delight to him. You are a sweet-smelling sacrifice to him. You are accepted apart from achievement. You are beloved apart from what your performance has been that week. You are perfect, righteous in his sight. God's design for relationships has to start by putting our trust in Jesus as the perfect lamb and the perfect sacrifice. We need to find our approval and acceptance in him alone because if we don't, where are you looking for your approval? Where are you looking for your acceptance? If it's not in God, who is it in? If it's not in God, you'll be like me growing up trying to be good, rocking up to church and hoping no one sees what's really going on. No one knows the failures. Doing things to try and feel like I'm doing all right and I'm being a good Christian. But no, the lamb, that's all it needs. Present the lamb and you are perfect, accepted and approved. If that's not in place, you can't start having relationships the way God designs. Number two, point number two, God's design for relationships starts with learning how to relate rightly to our father. Good friends of mine adopted a child when she was about five years old. And for the first time in her life, this dear girl had two parents who cared for her well-being and were committed to meeting her needs. But it soon became clear that the previous five years had left their mark. In the night, while their three older girls would call out if they felt afraid or unwell, this girl would never make a sound because five years had taught her that no one cared enough to come if she called out. Friends, we too bear the marks of being orphans. We bear the marks of separation. Whether great or small, we've all experienced the pain of broken trust, of rejection, of being misunderstood, negligence, carelessness at the hands of others, and relationships that fell short of what we needed. We've all experienced the effects of brokenness in human relationship. What do we do? My friends are day by day patiently reparenting their precious daughter out of the patterns of orphan thinking and into the healthy expectations she can have as a child with loving parents. And every single one of us here needs the gentle, patient, restorative reparenting of our Father. We need to unlearn the patterns of self-protection, withdrawal and isolation, fear of rejection, control, shame, suspicion, and more in order to discover the kind of relationships that God has made us for with himself and with one another. The process begins with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.15, what a promise. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
the Holy Spirit given to us by the Father helps us to learn how to relate to him as children of God, helps us to regain trust in God, helps us to overcome the patterns of our old ways of thinking, helps us to unlearn all of the marks of separation that we arrived to God with. God's design for relationships starts with our relationship with Jesus and continues by learning to rightly relate to the Father by the Holy Spirit. And finally, point three, God's design for relationships with other believers is with other believers who are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. What do I mean? Ephesians 3, 17 to 18 has this amazing prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church. He prays, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. What a prayer. His desire is that the Ephesian church would be rooted and grounded in love so that together with all the saints, they would have strength to comprehend the love of Christ. Now, I shared a few weeks ago, and I'm going to share this story again, the experience that I've had of this kind of love at Rev. Ten years ago, after going through a really tough experience of rejection, I turned to a sinful relationship for comfort and acceptance. But instead of feeling better, I felt worse. And the Holy Spirit's conviction grew stronger and stronger until finally I had to get help from others. But I was terrified of what would happen. I'd already faced rejection and I was really afraid it was going to happen again. But what I received instead was love and forgiveness and restoration from God through his people. As I confessed and cried in the lounge with my elder and his wife, their treatment of me was rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. The love was the the kind of love that was so strong that he was willing to become sin, face the judgment of God on my behalf that I might be forgiven and restored to relationship with him. I experienced that kind of love. The kind of love that doesn't just give sin a free pass, but deals with it at the cross and then graciously restores forgiveness and relationship to his people. If we miss any part of that, We can't do relationships as deeply and powerfully as God created us to. This is the pattern for relationships that I believe that God wants us to rediscover. This is what he's been putting into my heart and mind over the past few months. Starts with relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, have you trusted in his sacrifice on your behalf? Or are you still separated from God and man? It continues with relationship with the Father the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Are you learning to walk in your new identity as adopted children? Or are you living in your old ways of thinking, being like an orphan without a father or being like an only child without brothers and sisters? Are you letting the Holy Spirit teach you and help you unlearn old patterns? It's also found in relationships with other believers who are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Are you loving others in the light of what that love cost him? 
Are you reflecting the breadth and depth and height and length of that love to others through confessing your sins, through confronting theirs in love, through forgiving and restoring people to relationship? Or are you staying on the edges, staying hidden and entertaining the patterns of your old ways of thinking? So what do we do? Psalm 103.13 tells us, Just as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Our father is a compassionate God, and he longs to show compassion to us. So we're going to draw near. I'm going to invite the band up to help us respond In song. And I'm just going to, I just felt like God brought to mind particular areas that I think some of us struggle with personally when it comes to this. Let's all stand first of all, I think. Some of us need to freshly remember that the, there is, we are marked by the blood of the Lamb. And as we stand in His presence, we find approval. And we find acceptance. For some of us, mistrust, just as it happened in Adam and Eve in the garden, it's happening in us. Mistrust is at work. We need help to believe again that he is utterly committed to relationship with us. For some of you here, you're viewing God as a taskmaster. He's more concerned in your performance than in having relationship with you. It's not true. He is committed to relationship with you. And it's time to renew your trust in that desire. That is his heart. For others of you, the circumstances of life have made it really hard to trust him. But he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously giving, give us all things? For some of us, our parenting growing up is a real stumbling block in this. Many of you in this room are suddenly aware that there's an orphan mindset at work in your behaviour. Whether your parents were amazing or not, they will have fallen short. But God's promise is to fill the gap, to make up what was lacking and heal what was broken. Psalm 27.10 says, For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. The Lord will take me in. I felt like I should ask, if you're someone here today and you've had a level of breakthrough when it comes to knowing your God as Father, to being reparented, I just ask, would you just raise your hand if you have had breakthrough in this area around just coming to the Father's heart? Good. If there are others of you here, I want you to look around. If this is an area where you need breakthrough, these are the friends who can walk with you in it. I want you to look around, and if you spot someone where there's a trusting relationship you have with them, I want you to go to them after this service and say, please, can you help me in this area? Thanks, guys. For some of us, it's unforgiveness. We carry pain and resentment because of relational breakdown or imperfect, broken people in our past. 
we can't accept God's spiritual parenting because it requires engaging with forgiveness. Friends, until we deal with unforgiveness, we remain set apart from his purposes for us. In Luke, Jesus said, Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Some of us need faith to forgive. We need faith to forgive to believe that at the end of all days, God is going to wrap everything up with perfect judgment. That he will care for those and look after those who have hurt us. Father, grant us the faith to forgive. For some of us, the idea of being truly known, not just the good, but the bad and the ugly, is terrifying. We're afraid to trust again after having been failed before. But Romans says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. If fear is something that you are battling, the great promise is the Spirit of God is here to bring you out of it, to drive out fear, to grant the spirit of adoption that shows you freshly that you are a child dearly loved and fully known, accepted forever in the family of God. And then finally, a spirit of independence. The spirit of independence opposes the spirit of unity. There is no room in the kingdom for only children. You belong You belong to God and you belong to others. 1 John, beautiful letter, you should read it. He says, we love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. John's not holding back. If anyone says he loves God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For who he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot see, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Sorry, I misquoted. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love a God whom he hasn't seen. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. (laughs) Father, you say that to love you is to love your people. Let love be awakened in us. Enduring love, overflowing love, self-sacrificing love, powerful love. We've hit our limits, God. We are a Western culture that believes that we need to get it all together and that maturity looks like looking after your own self, not needing each other, not mixing with other people, not needing to give anything to other people, but standing on your own two feet. And Father, I pray that you would save us from the spirit of independence. Save us from this thinking where we think that community exists for our needs where we think belonging is something for other people. We just come and we take and then we go. Save us from this, Lord. Save us from this, Lord.